Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you so much. What an honor to be here this morning, and I sure do love your pastor and his family, and we thank the Lord for the opportunity to uh, come to Long Beach today and be a part of First Baptist Church. I've heard of this church for a long, long time, and just uh, kind of a privilege to be here this morning and spend some time with you all. And uh, again, as uh, your pastor's mentioned, God has moved us out of the pastorate. I left uh, the pastorate on June the 2nd of 2019 after 41 years of ministry at the Cleveland Baptist Church. And, uh, and God moved us now into this new ministry called Spiritual Leadership Asia. It is an offshoot of the conference. And basically what we're trying to do is to raise awareness of the 1040 region of the world. And I suppose many folks know what that means, or at least you've heard the term, the 1040 window. And I like to describe it this way. If we go to the west side of Africa and we begin at the uh, 10 degrees north uh, latitude, you draw a line straight up to t- 40 degrees north, and then you begin to move across the east, uh, across the top of Africa. You're going to get all the top of Africa. You're going to get a little bit of Europe in that particular box. You're going to get all the Middle East. And then when you get to Asia, we're going to drop that line down to 10 degrees south of the equator to t- 40 degrees north. And that's what we call the 1040 window. It's a rectangle box, a little bit off if, if you go to 10 degrees south. But in that box, you have a third of the world's land mass, and a third of the world's land mass, you have two-thirds of the world's population. Over five billion souls live in the 1040 window. Many of them are living in spiritual darkness. In fact, the predominant amount of people living there, if you said the name Jesus, they would say something like this, I don't know him, he may live in the next village. Uh, We, obviously, living in in this Western world where we live, the name Jesus and faith in Christ is something that's very familiar to us. But there are lots of places in this world who still don't know the name of Jesus and know that he's the savior of the world, that died on the cross, that they may have eternal life. And so our whole purpose, of course, is to help Asian nationals to go to places I can't go as an American, stay places where I can't stay as an American, and do a work that I cannot do as an American. But we can help them do the work that God is calling them to do. And that's what Faith Promise Missions is all about, raising support, raising money for missionaries to go across the face of the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're honored to be here this morning. Thank the Lord for what God is doing here in California. And of course the great need as we think about, as I look at this congregation, a a multiplicity of people, a a pluralistic congregation that's kind of made up of the demographic that makes up this particular part of our world. And so the need is great here as well, but we also know that there's places that have not yet heard the name of Jesus, and it's all about trying to reach them with the gospel. And so if you pray with us about this ministry, that God would do a great work. Uh, The money that we're raising now is money that is being funneled right to Asian nationals. Uh, We began the beginning of this year, actually late last year, to start to raise support for them. Uh, we, uh, We didn't know exactly what God would do, but we believed that it was part of what God wanted us to do, is to raise support for National pastors are in places, again, that are difficult to reach. In what we call closed or restricted access countries that honestly would not give us a visa to come in and preach the gospel, but you'd go in as an educator or perhaps a business person and begin a work, but then, of course, stealthily to begin the work of evangelizing and to start church planting. And so uh, since the beginning of the year, we have now raised support at $50 a month for about 35 to 40 nationals. We have on our radar screen to try to raise a support for 100 at $50 a month. So that's like $5,000 a month that we're trying to raise. And again, that's going right to them. And it's a ministry of the Lancaster Baptist Church up in Lancaster, California. 
And uh, again, we're grateful that we get to partner with them and be a part of what God is doing. We'll take your copy of God's Word and go with me, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 8 this morning. Acts chapter 8. How many of us believe that God has a desire that the world knows Jesus Christ as Savior? I sure do believe that. In Acts chapter 8, we find a great story that is recorded for us. And of course, the entire 8th chapter is a, just a story of God's working in this world. But we're going to begin reading, if we can, in verse number 26. I'm going to read down to verse number 40. And if you're able to stand, would you stand as we give reverence to God's word this morning? Verse number 26 of Acts chapter 8, we'll read down to verse number 40. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and setting in his chariot and read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I? How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and set with him. And the place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet, of, uh, prophet this, of himself or some other man? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are overjoyed this morning to be in this place, to have this opportunity to share with this church your great work. We thank you, Lord, for this church, its 125-year history of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ here in Southern California. We thank you for what you're doing today. And we're so grateful, Lord, that this week is their week of missions conference. And I pray, Father, that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. And then, Lord, the opportunities that this church will have on Friday, Saturday, and then next Sunday, Lord, to have an opportunity to have a part in faith promise giving. Thank you for this pastor. Thank you for these dear people. Now bless the preaching of your word this morning. Give us clarity of thought. Help us, Lord, in your declaration of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. 
Well, I think we'd all agree that the overarching theme that's recorded in the Bible is God's desire. Think about this. God's desire to forgive men of their sins. God wants people to be forgiven. He wants them to have a relationship with him. The Bible speaks of all that God has done to make sure that we know that he loves us. I hope you know your love this morning. There's a God in heaven who looks down upon this earth and knows all about your life, knows where you live, he knows all about what's going on in your life, and he's not some distant being out there who is unconcerned. He is a God who is near, he's a God who is dear, he's a God who loves you this morning, and he wants you to know that he loves you. The message of God's love begins in the opening chapters of the Bible and is, is a consistent theme through every book, all 66 books that make up this book that we call the Bible. His love and desire is ultimately demonstrated through the manifestation of his son, Jesus. The fact that God would leave heaven and dress himself in flesh and walk among us here on this planet for 33 and a half years. And at the end of that time, at the, the climax of his life, to go to a place that we call Calvary, freely laying down his life on that cross and taking upon uh, himself our sin, dying, if you would, in our place. And God punished his son so that he could forgive you and me of the sins when we repent and believe the gospel, which is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. That's the simple gospel message that all who believe that that is sufficient or is can take care of their sins and put their trust in that gift can be forgiven of their sins. The Bible states this truth clearly in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love us, he so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him puts all their trust, all their faith on him should not perish or die and go to hell but have everlasting life. First Timothy 2, 4 who will have all men, speaking of God, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish or die and go to hell, but that all men should come to repentance. The, the verse that God uh, speaks of God's love for us and his desire for us uh, to turn from our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now it's clear, as we have read our text this morning, that God works in unusual ways in different lives to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I love this story that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 8. It's an unusual story because it speaks of God's working specifically in one man's life. And you know, God, while God wants the world to be saved, God wants to work in all of our lives individually. And God has been at work in your life this week as he's been at work in my life. And God wants to do something in our lives. And again, he commands the church to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. See, God doesn't want us just to go to the easy places. And I don't know that there's any really easy place anymore to preach the gospel. But I do think that there are places that perhaps are easier, some are easier than others. And God said, I don't want you just to go to the easy places, but I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, giving them an opportunity for, to be saved. So the message of gospel is to be proclaimed by people to people, and that's God's way. It has been happening for the last 2,000 years. It's God's desire that we, as his people, are obedient in sharing the message of salvation and forgiveness. Now here in our text, we find this man, Philip, 
He's a member of the first church that was ever established, the church in Jerusalem. And this man was a deacon in that church. And as a result of, as we begin to read in Acts chapter 8, some pressure was placed upon the churches, or the church at that point in Jerusalem, by a man by the name of Saul. And Saul had a vendetta, if you would, against Christianity. He hated Christ. He hated these people. He, he looked at them as being uh, out of the way and not believing correctly. And he thought it was his job to bring persecution against the church. And he did that. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that he brought great persecution against the church, made havoc of the church. And, and so as a result of this pressure, so to speak, being brought upon the church. Now stop just a moment. And let's just think about the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Let's just simply say that this week there's somebody in particular who says, I'm going to do everything that I can to shut down the ministry of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach, has a vendetta against your pastor and against you as a people, and says, I'm going to do everything I can to make the life of those people miserable, and I'm going to arrest some of them and put them in jail, and I'm going to, I'm going to cause others maybe even be put to death. I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure they don't have jobs or food. You can imagine what that would be like as a church to deal with that kind of pressure. So the church at Jerusalem was dealing with that. And so as a result of that pressure, the Bible says they, they were scattered abroad. So in other words, they didn't stay in Jerusalem. They began to move. And you know where they moved? Every place. They, they, it's like, like, like stomping on fire and the fire just went every place. And, and the Bible says, I love this in verse number four, it says they went everywhere preaching the word. Well, this guy, Philip, goes down to a place called Samaria. And Samaria becomes very receptive to the gospel message and a great revival breaks out down there. So what Saul was trying to stop now is scattering and God is doing this great work. So in Samaria, the Bible says many, many people were saved and, and the church sent some others down to help in the work. And as a result of that work going on, God does this great job and, and many people are saved and baptized and a congregation is established but at a point, God says, okay, Philip, you're done here. You're done here. I've got something else for you. And I want us to kind of walk through this passage, if you would. And I want you to notice a few thoughts this morning as we think about this. Notice, if you would, that God, we think about God's work. Would you notice God's direction in Philip's life? Look at verse 26. The Bible says, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, arise and go towards the south. Now, time out for a moment. He's down in Samaria. He's got this great work going on. I would guess, Pastor Dave, there'd be hundreds if maybe not thousands of people saved and baptized in the short amount of time that he's down there. The indication is that whole cities are, and whole families and whole communities and whole people groups are responding to the gospel. And it's a great work that God is doing. God says, okay, Philip, time out. You're done here. Okay, where do you want me to go next, Lord? Well, I want you to go down to the desert. The desert? Who lives in the desert? Well, certainly not cities at that point in the desert. It's not like, you know, they, they, their ability to, to, to flourish out there. It's just it's a place that you have to pass through in this very arid climate. You've got to go from one city to the next, but you have to pass through the desert. And God says, Philip, I want you to go into the desert. And so Philip is obedient. When he gets to the desert, he out yonder. Can I use that word out yonder? He sees a chariot. And, and, he, and he sees it perhaps maybe a, an entourage, maybe it's a small group, because I don't suppose this man is traveling by himself. And in verse 29, he sees this man in a chariot. The chariot has come to a standstill. I don't know if he's just taking a break. Uh, but, but anyway, the chariot has come to a standstill, and he sees this man, and he's reading this scroll. 
Today we'd have an iPad, we'd have our book on our iPad, or, or, or we'd have maybe a physical book, you know. And, and this guy's reading this scroll, and God says to him, go join yourself to him. Now think about what God is doing in the life of Philip. He's guiding and directing him. So let me be clear. God wants all people to be saved. God, God wants us to witness to everybody that we come into contact with. The Bible says we're to preach the gospel to every creature. But, but would you agree with me that there are times when God kind of prompts us at times to share the gospel with somebody in particular? Amen. Maybe this morning as you're sitting in this auditorium, you're thinking about somebody maybe you work with, and maybe your heart is burdened for them. Uh, maybe you know that they've gone through a hard time. And you know, sometimes God uses the adversity in people's lives to prepare them to receive the message. Maybe it's a neighbor lady across the street. You're a lady sitting here and you, you've, had, you've had a relationship with her, but you've not yet witnessed to her the way that you should. And maybe today as you're sitting here, God is going to prompt in your heart to say, this week, this afternoon, tomorrow, I want you to go and I want you to have a cup of coffee or invite her to coffee or invite her into your house and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or uh, you know, whatever it is that you do and I want you to share the gospel with her. And I'm telling you that God prompts in our lives. Now why he wants us to preach the gospel to everybody, there are times that he just stirs us up and says, it's that person. Amen. And we're to be obedient to the command of Christ. We are to be ready to respond, if you would, to the cause of Jesus Christ. I never forget the first time that God really prompted in my life that way. I was just a young man. Uh, I'd grown up in the church. I got saved when I was five years old. God had called me to ministry when I was about third, third or fourth grade. It was at youth camp when God spoke to my heart. And I have to tell you, I wasn't, you know, I was just a kid, just, just like a normal kid growing up in America. Just, you know, my, my dad was a truck driver and then he left the truck driving world to come to work at the church. Just kind of be like a youth pastor and a second man to our, our pastor and so, so our life was just, it was just kind of nor normal. I mean, I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If you know anything about Cleveland, Ohio, you know this, that Cleveland is a, is, was a heavily Roman Catholic area. And I got to tell you, the street that I grew up on was greatly, in, uh, greatly impacted by Roman Catholicism. Almost every family in our community, in this little street, there was probably... Oh, I would guess maybe there were five or six families, and they all had children, and all those kids were Roman Catholic, at least in name, and many of them attended a parochial school. It was Ascension, uh, Christ, uh, I was going to call it Christian, uh, Ascension Catholic School, and, and they went there to school, and, and, and yet here I am, I'm the lone Baptist, I'm the Baptist ranger, so to speak, the lone ranger in the community. And, and so, you know, it's summertime, and, uh, and I'm probably about, probably seventh or eighth grade, and back in those days, you know, you could kind of let your kids do some things that you can't do today because I'm an old guy, you know. In old guys, we used to be able to have some freedom, you know. You'd have to watch your kids and worry about somebody carrying them off like that you have to do today. And so we would, my, my parents, every time, sometimes in the summer, uh, would allow us to have some freedom. And so some of the guys in the neighborhood would get together and we'd have a camp out in somebody's backyard. And so this particular camp out took place in the Folger backyard. And, and you know, I, and, and God had been working my life. I was just, again, seventh or eighth grade. But God had been working my life that I had not been the witness to these kids that I should have been. So I remember distinctly, I can see clear in my mind as I'm speaking to you today. We're laying out there in that backyard and I'm, uh, and, and we kind of had a, like this little lean-to, and I, you know, you could kind of look up still in the heavens and see the stars, and I began to say, hey, guys, you think about those stars up there. Do you think about how, how God made this world? You know, that just allowed me, Pastor 
Delaney, just to have an opportunity to share the Christ with them. And I, and I have to tell you that I was burdened for their souls, and God prompted me. And two or three of them that night, I was able to take them through the Romans' road of salvation, and, and they prayed and asked Christ to come into their heart. But that was the first time that I felt God really prompting me to share Christ with someone. You know, God wants to do that in our lives. He wants to work in your heart, in your life. If you're saved this morning, God wants to direct your steps. He wants to fill you with his spirit. And, and part of being filled with his spirit is sharing Christ with people that God brings across our path. His Holy Spirit's desires to fill every believer. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the spirit. It's my observation that our lack of being filled with the spirit is the reason that we're failing to witness for Christ the way that we should. You see, when the Holy Spirit is working in our life and when we're filled with the Spirit, we have a desire to speak of the things that God is interested in. You know, if we're filled with ourselves, we're going to think about all the stuff that's going on in our world. And there's a lot going on in our world. We've got COVID and we've got, we, we've got crazy things happening in our society. We've got all these movements and issues that are playing. I'm just simply saying we can get sidetracked and it's easy, if you would, to get filled with yourself and what's going on in this world. But there's a God in heaven whose spirit wants to fill you so that you can speak for him when you have opportunities. For God gives you opportunities. Acts 1.8 says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in the Samaria and the other most parts of the world. So think about our text. We find God is directing Philip into this unusual place. And because he's filled with the Spirit, God has been at work in the life of the eunuch. And he needs someone to tell him about Jesus Christ. Look, I'm convinced God never calls a person to a place without God already working in that place before that person ever gets there. So, so think about that. If God is prompting in your heart to witness to someone, that means that God's already at work in that person's life, setting, so to speak, the stage for you to do what God has called you to do. Now, sometimes we, we sow seed. See, sometimes we have this idea, well, you know, I didn't see that person get saved. But you know, sometimes you sow. Other times you water. But thank God for those moments when God gives the increase and people get saved. But we're all to do our part. And I'm just simply saying, when God prompts you to do something, it's because he's at work in someone's life. Would, would you notice the second thing that I find here? God not only works in the life of the soul winner or the person that's sowing seed, but God's at work in that person's life as well. No, notice some, some things that are happening in this text in regard to this, this man we know as the eunuch. First of all, notice that God's work in his life was ongoing. Clearly when Philip and the eunuch connect, God had already been at work in the life of this, uh, of this man, this eunuch. He was, had been to Jerusalem, verse 28 says, to worship. Now, I don't know exactly what prompted him to go to, 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 uh, to Jerusalem. If, if, the indication is that he came just, he wanted to come to the temple. He wanted to come and, and see what God was doing there. And evidently, while he was there, he purchased a scroll or had with him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he's reading a, 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 a particular portion of Scripture. And I think it's very clear what portion he's reading. If you know anything about the book of Isaiah, if there is a portion of Isaiah that speaks of God's heart and desire and what he's going to do through his son, Jesus Christ, it is chapter 53 that speaks of the great atoning work of Jesus Christ. And here, this man, think about this. Here's Philip now in the middle of the desert. God says, leave this thriving ministry. I want you to go out there into the desert. He gets there. He sees this guy out yonder reading a, a, a passage of, uh, uh, from a scroll in a chariot, and he just happens to be reading Isaiah 53. 
Now, how many of us believe that that just happens? It's God who does those things, and his work is ongoing. He takes us step by step. And I'm here to tell you, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are not here by accident this morning. You are here because God has brought you to this moment and to this place and because he's got a work that he's desiring to do in your heart. He wants you to be saved and he wants your family to know Christ and God wants to do a great work in all of our lives. So this is not mere coincidence, this working in his life. Would you notice the second thing I find in this text? Not only is God's work ongoing, but I find in the life of this eunuch that God is not a respecter of persons. We're not told whether or not this eunuch was of Hebrew descent. Now, he very well could have been. You see, when Israel went into captivity by the Assyrians, they were scattered after the captivity to the wind. They went every different direction. Now, Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians a bit later. Their captivity was 70 years, and many of them came back to Jerusalem, back to Israel to reestablish the land. But some of those folks even stayed in Babylon after the captivity was over with, and some of them got scattered. So, so the Jewish people could have been all across this, this area of the world, and no doubt this, this man could have been. He could have been of Jewish descent, or he could have been a Gentile, just a man who God has stirred in his heart and who was pursuing truth. Whatever the background in his pursuit of God, he was led to the temple in Jerusalem because he had heard something. Now I have to believe, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you that I'm just kind of adding, I'm not adding to the Bible this morning, but I'm just kind of helping you to understand what may be happening here. How many of us believe that when Jesus walked upon the face of this earth, and we understand now that it's post-Jesus. In other words, the, Jesus has died, he's, he's been resurrected, and he's been gone to heaven for some time. But how many of us believe that during Jesus' life and ministry, that his ministry, though it was, if you would, kind of, you know, sectioned off to just Israel itself and, and he's, he goes to every city and every village and preaches the gospel and, and does all these works and miracles. How many of us have to believe here this morning that that message of God doing something powerful through a man who some call the Messiah, how many of us have to believe that that message through trade routes and through people doing business has not just necessarily scattered across Jerusalem, but through beyond Jerusalem to the, to the nations beyond that. And so I have to believe that maybe, just maybe this man has heard that God had done something marvelous in Jerusalem and this man had died on the cross and some said now he's not dead, he's alive and now he's in heaven. Maybe he's come to figure that all out. I'm just simply saying it's happening. You know, it's wonderful to know, think about this, it's wonderful to know that while Jesus was on this earth, his ministry pretty much was, again, kind of sectioned off to Jerusalem, and he focused on the, the, the Hebrew people. But it's wonderful to know that post-Calvary, that God isn't concerned just about one particular group of people. When the Bible says, for God so loved the world, that means red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. I'm here to tell you, I don't care what your background is here today. I don't care what your, how poor you are, how rich you are. I don't care what your pedigree may be or whether you have a pedigree. It doesn't matter. You, you know, most of us are probably like the, the dog. You know, we're just kind of, we're just a multi-generational, multicultural type of person that's put together. You know, you do your DNA study and they say you got so much of this and so much of this and so much of this. And, and, and I, I got a feeling that most of us are, are, are kind of mixed, you know. But it doesn't matter what your DNA is or, or, or how, who you are or what you do. God loves you this morning. God's son died for you this morning like he died for me. And God wants us to know that. 
people have prejudice against sometimes against some people, but God doesn't. God is not prejudiced in his who he loves and who he doesn't love. It doesn't matter what a person has done or where they grew up or the color of the skin. God loves them. He does. Would you notice that a third thing about God's work in this man's life? Would you notice that it involves the truth of Scripture? You know, God uses his word to deal with people. The Bible is clear that this man had a copy of the prophet Isaiah, and he's reading from it. And God drew the eunuch by what he had written. And perhaps the eunuch was curious about the story of Jesus and, and what he'd heard in, about Jesus in Jerusalem. And, and, and perhaps he's wondering, how, how does this fit? How does this all put together? Could, could it possibly be that 500 years before Jesus, God had given a, a, a vision to a prophet about a man who had died on the cross for the sins of the world? Does, does that work? And God was using the scripture in this man's life. And so we as believers, we understand that God's word is powerful today. Do you have a copy of God's word with you this morning? I'll tell you, the Bible says this is a living word. I'm telling you that this book is the most unusual book that's ever been written. Forty different authors over 1,600 years coming from various backgrounds, but it tells the same story from beginning to end, that God loves humanity and that God is pursuing humanity and God wants to have a relationship with humanity. And I'm here to tell you this book is powerful. It is alive. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, it is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is, a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I've had people come to me, and I, I know your pastors had people come to him after they began preaching and said, how did you know? Say, how did I know what? They'd say, how did you know about my life? I said, I didn't know about your life, but God's word does. Amen. See, the word of God is like that. It's like this, this, this sword, and God uses the word in our life. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper the thing whereto I send it. John 6, 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, the, the, I'm sorry, the quickeneth this flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Romans 10, 17, so faith that cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is quick, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to dividing asunder soul and spirit and joints and marrows and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's a fourth thing that I find in the God's work in our life. It involves a man to explain and help others to understand. Now, God has chosen to use people in his work. Notice verse 31. And he said, uh, verse 30, Philip asked him, do you understand what you read? And he said, in verse 31, he said, how can I except some man should guide me? Look at verse 35 and 36. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So God uses people in his work. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 says, How shall they call on him of whom they not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. See, spiritual leadership Asia, the ministry we're part of, is about that. It's about men declaring the gospel to people who at this point have never heard. I often use this illustration sometimes in preaching. 
You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that Long Beach, California is a citadel of fundamentalism, right? I mean, it's not. You know, there's probably more people sleeping in bed this morning than people are in churches of every stripe in, in this community. But that being said, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been around a long time in the United States of America. And while we may be a postmodern country in the fact that many people today don't believe in absolute truth and perhaps don't even believe the truth of the scriptures anymore, there's still enough of us believers in the United States of America in every community that if people want to be saved, they could be saved. So tomorrow my wife and I, by, by the grace of God, we're supposed to get on an airplane at LAX and head home. Well, let's just simply say in the middle of that busy airport, I stop in a concourse and I say something like this, Hey! Now, you think I get some attention? I say something like that. Yeah. Say, I woke some of you up just now, didn't I? So, so, so here's the idea. Hey, could somebody help me here? Could somebody here tell me who Jesus is? I probably get some real odd stares and people think, what on earth is wrong with that person? But I'm sure there's enough Christians passing through the LAX airport that I wouldn't have to say that very long before somebody come up to me and say, sir, here's a gospel track. Or, or I have a New Testament, I can tell you who Jesus is. Or here's a website that you can visit. Or, or, or here's the address of my church and, and you can come and visit us. I'm just simply saying there's enough Christianity in the United States of America. If somebody wanted to get saved, they could get saved. And by the way, that's what you and I are supposed to be all about. But let's travel to the 1040 window. Let's go to a restricted access nation. Let's go to some place where... Less than 2% of the population are believers if, if, of any stripe. I mean, of any type of Christianity whatsoever. So let's just simply say you're born in a place that the predominant religion is Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. And Christianity has not been able to penetrate that, that, that shell, so to speak, of, of that darkness. So you're born, and let's just simply say from the day that you're born, you can begin to speak. Felt like my kids started talking real early in life, and they haven't shut up yet. You know, they're just still, still going. But, but let's just simply say you could start talking the day you're born, and you talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 80 years. And how about if you could say from the day you're born this statement, hey, could somebody tell me who Jesus is? Now, now listen very carefully to me. Nine times out of ten for people that are living in a closed or restricted access nation, nine times out of ten, they could speak that for 80 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and never one time have someone tell them about Jesus. We're, we're talking about 3.1 billion people that are living in what we call unengaged areas of this world. You say, preacher, is there a need for the gospel? Is there a need for missions? Is there a need for this work? Absolutely. Because God uses people and he uses his word. Do you know there are 7,117 living languages? Do you know of other 7,117 living languages, only 698 have an entire Bible? Do you know there are over 3,000 languages right now that don't have a copy of God's word? Don't even have a scripture portion in their what we call heart language, their, their, their heritage language. I'm saying to you young people, hey, God's looking for some folks to say, here am I, send me. I'm saying to some of you older couples sitting here, hey, you can have a greater part in missions this year by your giving and helping the world to have the gospel. I'm talking to some of you, you've got a heritage, you've got family that live in the 1040 window. You ought to be concerned about what God is doing over there. And I'm saying to you this morning, God 
works in our lives. It involves a man to explain the truth. And then I want you to see ultimately this work that God does in our life is a work of God. Look at verse 29. And the spirits, then the spirit said to Philip, go near and join thyself to the chariot. It was the Holy Spirit that brought Philip and the eunuch together. It was God's work. As Philip shares the truth of Scripture, God opens the eyes of the eunuch to the truth of the prophet Isaiah, speaking of his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. Think about this, 500 years before Jesus ever died, Isaiah looked down the tunnel of time, saw that cross, and saw Jesus as the Lamb of God, who took away the sin of the world as he bled and died and covered our sins with his own death. Now let me conclude this morning. I realize that most of us think of us, most of us will probably never have a Philip moment like this, where God says, okay, go to the desert. But I also want you to know that every day you're going to bump up against some people who don't know Jesus. Right. It's our responsibility as God's people to be a witness and to share our faith. It's God desires that people come to salvation. I suggest to you that in our world that God is working in people's lives. It's the person you work with. It's the guy in the cubicle next door. Or the person that's in the factory. He's the guy out there in the field. God's already at work. He's doing something in their life today. Preparing them for you to share Christ with them tomorrow. It's in the marketplace where you do your marketing. I'm just simply saying God expects his people to be our witnesses. We are his tools to accomplish his purpose. Who do you know that God wants you to witness to today? Who are you thinking about right now when I said that? That, hey, there's somebody that I need to share my faith with. Who is that person? Identify them in your heart and your mind. And I want you right now to make a determination that sometime this week, this, this week, between this Sunday and next Sunday, sometime this week, I'm going to make an effort to get to that person and share my faith with them. Can I tell you that God is at work in our world? Perhaps in this gathering this morning are people who are without Christ. As I said a few moments ago, you're not here by accident. You're here because God brought you here. I'm not here by accident this morning. God brought me here. This message is not an accident this morning. That's, it's God's message. And I want to encourage you today to give consideration what God is doing in your heart. Let me encourage you to, to know that you are loved by God. He loved you so much. If you're sitting here this morning without Christ, he loved you so much and that he sent his own son. I've got three sons. And I, I, I'm, I'm looking at a congregation of people and I don't know you very well. Some of you, I, I, first time I've ever laid eyes on you is right now this morning. But I'm not sure, and I'm just being frank with you, I'm not sure that I would let my son die for you. I'm just being honest. But there's a God in heaven who let his son die for you. Yep. Let, let me just simply say, how, how about this? How about if one of my sons, and none of my sons have ser served military service, they just, that wasn't a calling upon their life. But what if one of my sons went someplace to fight a battle for the United States of America and died in service? And what if you met me someday and I said, hey, I want to let you know that my son died in military service so that you could have freedom. What if you spit on me said, I hate your son. How, how, how do you think I feel about that? And yet many people, without even knowing it, in some respects, are rejecting the son of God who died on the cross so that they could have eternal life to keep you, think about it, to keep you from going to hell forever. God loves you this morning. And he died so you and I could have eternal life. This story is a story of God's great love for humanity 
You may not be an important person like the eunuch, but God is still concerned about you this morning. And God is concerned about your neighbors and your family members. And he's concerned about this world. And he says to us, be my witnesses. May God help us this morning.